How do y'all, where y'all, the, uh, the Harkin Brothers Band, and uh, who here's from Fayetteville, Arkansas? <laughs> Nobody? Any kids ever been to a honky-tonk? Well, here's a song about it. Two, three, four. Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party, a brand new podcast covering SNL and all things comedy. Our podcast officially kicks off this weekend with SNL's season 42 premiere with host Margot Robbie and musical guest The Weeknd. With the premiere just around the corner, we thought it would be fun to take a look back at all the SNL-related news that dropped over the summer. We'll be taking a look at Weekend Update's coverage of the RNC and DNC conventions, cast changes, and Saturday Night Live's embracing of sponsored content. I'm John Murray, and joining me is Steve Finn. Steve is a comedy aficionado, award-winning improv performer, and the host of Transparency on CHMR 93.5 FM in St. John's, Newfoundland. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at TransparencyCHMR. And you can connect with us at SNLAfterParty.fm. All right, enjoy. So when we left off in the Fred Armisen episode, the last sketch of season 41 was the Harkin brothers. Now, when we were chatting about that back in May, you made a point of saying that this was a real performance performed by the cast. Yeah, I thought it was genuinely the cast up there playing the instruments. Yes. So I had to give you the smackdown. Well, you had more information (laughs) on it than I, you had more knowledge. Maybe a little. Being in the room probably helped. So did you have a chance to watch it again? I did. And you know what? I got to concede to your argument on this. (laughs) You can tell what's actually coming from that stage and what's coming from off to the side uh, where the band is. So, Mm -hmm. well, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a forgivable sin. I just, (laughs) because there was no definitive conclusion to the matter on, uh, on our last cast, I thought it was worth seeing if, if we could just put the matter to bed, because I know that, you know, all of our listeners are probably just waiting with bated breath to see where we land on this. So uh, have you been keeping up on the SNL news since May? I have. Uh, some of it I'm excited about. Other things, you know, I questioned. I think the biggest immediate difference we're going to see is the absence of two veteran cast members and one new one, that right. being Taryn J and John Rudnitsky. You know, I was surprised to hear about Taryn and Jay you know, being uh, dismissed from the show. But it kind of makes sense to me the way that Lorne has evolved. I mean, the way it works now with his cast members, it seems to be he's looking at more of an investment in the future. You know, someone like, of course, Seth Meyers and Jimmy Fallon. He's, he's, he seems to be looking at what he can do with that talent after right. they're done with the show. Yep. So the fact that Tara and Jay had a, a year left and they were let go makes me think that maybe Lauren didn't see a, f- a future with them outside of SNL. Mm-hmm. Obviously we have seen over the years that there is a lot of alum that stay kind of in Lauren's stable of talent <laughs> yeah. and, and pop up in, in all the different endeavors. So yeah, letting them go a little bit early, it does, it, at least if you, 
uh, hear what they have to say about it. It just does. It does seem like it was kind of like a severing ties completely kind of a situation. So yeah, it sounds like maybe this is a, um, yeah, a situation where there's no more room for them to kind of go up the ranks in Lauren's empire. And so they're going to be <laughs> off carving a new path for themselves, which for what it's worth, it sounds like they're already kind of doing <laughs> quite, Absolutely. quite, quite effectively. They've both got, uh, I, I think shows lined up and Taron Killam's working on a movie and all sorts of good stuff happening with them. So I'm not overly concerned that, that everything's going to end up going well for them. Yeah. I'm not worried about their careers. You're right. It definitely isn't a transition thing. Like with some cast members where you, you hear immediately that, Oh, they've just basically been shuffled over into this different property here. Tina Fey kind of being the, the big example of that. Right. Okay. So my my take on it, uh, I read I read a little bit about some of the what led up to it. I don't think there's a whole lot of controversy there. I think it just really is. Occasionally, the show has to put on its producer's hat and say, "Okay, we've got so much money, we need to craft the the tightest cast we can we can get out of it." And sometimes they they want to try a new direction, or they've got some new up and comers that they want to squeeze in, and you just you have to make those calls. And it's always kind of awkward when that kind of news trickles out into the media before like even the the artists know sometimes or they they just kind of get it from their agent it's like wait a minute i've been working there for six years and nobody had the decency to tell me right there's always a, a little bit of i don't know it's always a little sore to get that kind of news even under the best of circumstances but it doesn't sound like there was anything controversial about it there's no big behind the scenes hijinks that led to this they were both very stable very capable guys that served the show for a long time and it's just time for a new direction plain and simple and you're right and it doesn't hurt that in the back of lauren's mind i'm sure he knows okay well Obviously, uh, I, I already know that Taryn's got this going on and Jay's got that going on. So they put in their time, they've got opportunities opening up to them. It's not really going to hurt. Right. You know, if they, if it's time for them to move on, whereas maybe John Renitsky, <laughs> that, that might've hurt a little. <laughs> That's a little bit different. Yeah. And one more thing on Taryn and Jay, while I was surprised looking back on that season 41, as it played out and seeing how they how those two particular cast members were treated. Mm -hmm. You can kind of see that they were being phased out in some ways. Like we, we didn't see Obama at all. Right. Except for that one, uh, lonely Island. That's right. You're right. It does seem like they were put more into utility, uh, mode rather than having highlight moments throughout the season. You're right. It's not like season 39 where it was very obviously, okay, we're struggling here. Let's pass the ball to Taryn. Yeah. It, it seemed like they wanted him to be the leading man and kind of come into his own. And maybe they just didn't feel like he was ascending on the show. Like he kind of hit his ceiling and uh, they cooled off. Uh, but I mean, we, it's easy for us to read into it and try and impose some meaning on it. A lot of times it's just, well, that's what the, you know, the writer's whim or kind of just where the show was flowing at that time. And there's really not that much calculation to it, but it is, it is very interesting that Obama was seemingly absent and so much of what Taryn was bringing earlier in uh, his run was missing from the last season. So you can't help but feel like maybe there was a little bit of a hint that they were uh, yeah, being ramped down. Yeah. A hint or two. Yep. John Rudnitsky, I have no idea what his next move is because he was just kind of an up and comer. And he, uh, as much as I thought he did really good his first season, apparently he didn't, he didn't get over that hump. Uh, I don't know what's next for him if he's got anything cooking, but, uh, anyways, <laughs> I wish him well. 
Yeah. I honestly thought he could have gone another season. Even though he had that one really fun, dirty dancing moment. Was it? No. Yeah. Dirty. No. Dirty dancing. Yeah, yeah. It was dirty. Yeah. His Patrick Swayze thing. Even though that was kind of like a big moment, there wasn't enough memorable things that really put him on anyone's radar. So I don't think he was getting a whole lot of love from the writing staff. I don't think that he was getting any like big press saying, oh, you know, the, the new rising star of SNL. So when you don't get that momentum right out of the gate, it's so easy for them to say, okay, well, here's a half a dozen other up and coming performers that we could give a season to try out too. And maybe one of them will hit right away. And I think that's what they're doing. They just, they're going to swap out people that just don't instantly find their voice on the show and just keep trying it out until they find some stars. Cause the show still doesn't have a whole lot of star power right now. Yeah. We don't really have any bill haters or uh, Fred Armisen's right. those types of, you know, they have personality and also talent for characters and impressions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sometimes there's a presence. There's just some quality that you can't quite put your finger on, but you're amused when you see it. And I think that's what the show is really looking for right now. They're bringing in three new up and comers for their featured players. And it just seems like they're going back to the drawing board, trying to just figure out what's the personality, what's the right version of a featured player that's going to break out sooner than later and not just grow with the show slowly and come into their own, but really have a big moment. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to find. It's rare when it happens. And I, I don't think the show has a magic formula to make it happen. So they just have to keep throwing new people out there and hoping for the best. And yeah. And that kind of gets us into um, the, the three new guys. We've got Mikey day who uh, he's been in Lauren's stable of talent for a long time. He wrote on the show for a while. He um, got involved with Maya and Marty. And mm-hmm. so I, I think he's an obvious person uh, because he's already had some screen time. He's already shown his chops. He, they already know what they're getting with him. He's certainly more proven. Yeah, he's a safe bet. He's a very yeah. safe bet. And I'd be willing to bet he can go a long way on the show. I don't know if he'll ever be, you know, a big standout. Uh, only time will tell on that. But I think he's solid and I think that's probably a good move to bring him in because they are going to have a, a lot of their top tier cast exiting over the next couple of years. So you do want to have some really strong, like foundational players in the mix too. Right. Then we have Chicago improviser, Alex Moffat. Uh, do you know anything about this guy? This guy, I don't know too much about. Uh, he's known for improv, I guess, mm-hmm. mostly. Yeah. If he's out of Chicago, that's probably been his path. (laughs) So he probably has history with 80 and Cecily and uh, a lot of the writers that are already on the show. Yeah. That should be a good click. Yep. I don't, uh, I don't know anything about him at this point. I'm excited to obviously see the new cast in action, hope that they're embraced and, and get their, their moment to shine. I did have a chance to look into Melissa Villasenor. I think it's Via Senor. Via Senor. Okay. So that seems to be in man village. (laughs) <laughs> okay melissa man village well, when, for the english speakers melissa village man or do they reverse everything in spanish oh they they reverse it just like french okay all right <laughs> i'm gonna assume that you know what you're talking about because i don't know uh one way or another to to uh smack that down even though i'm pretty sure you're just blowing smoke right bro now. it's man village <laughs> literal <laughs> translation right there okay so melissa i find her to be the most intriguing because Uh, her path has been kind of a little more unique in that she's been finding her fame through like America's got talent. She was one of the finalists on there, which is a really kind of bizarre 
path to SNL. Yeah. And um, I also uh, found uh, an episode of Dana Carvey's first impression show that she was on. She didn't win, but she did a really good job on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So her claim to fame is that she does really spot on impersonations. So this is why I find her kind of intriguing because that alone rarely is enough to make it on SNL. There has to be some charisma, some presence, some something that you just radiate. It's a good thing to draw from, but you got to have more yeah. in your arsenal than just that. Yeah. So having the talent to do a really good impersonation, fantastic. That is a tool, but it doesn't make you a well-rounded performer. I don't know. Only time will tell. Yes. I, I did have a look at Mrs. Mantown's <laughs> demo reel there and the impressions were quite impressive. Mm-hmm. Impressive impressions. They were <laughs> The other, the other thing about her that I was wondering about is when she's not giving her impressions, the little moments in between the impressions where she was interacting with the host or whatever, whether it was on America's Got Talent or Dana Carvey's show or some of the other stuff, it really seemed like the moment she wasn't doing an impression, she got very kind of like meek and reserved and uh, her actual like voice and presence and the way she carries herself, it was just, it didn't immediately say to me star. like. It didn't say to me that there was like a real, uh, just shining performer here outside of the impression. So that's what's uh, again got me intrigued to see what what the show is able to do with her. I I really hope. <laughs> well, I always hope when people come in, you you want people to get their their moment and get their big break. But uh, I yeah. uh, I think she's really a wild card because it's a very specific thing that she's bringing to the show. Do you have uh, anything worth mentioning about the? supposed controversy around her Twitter. <laughs> is that, do we even care about discussing this? This is something I miss. I know about oh, okay. John Ranitsky's Twitter scandal, but what's this one? Well, tell me, John, it, it might as well be a replay. You could probably take John Ranitsky's article from last year and just put her name in it. And we're back. We're, we're having the same conversation. Basically what it is, is after she got announced for the show, obviously she got a huge influx of people checking her out and connecting with her on Twitter and whatnot. Right. And so a bunch of those, I'm going to call them internet journalists just to be generous, but the, the type of internet reporting that really doesn't serve (laughs) the greater good. um, They decided to go back through all of her Twitter and they found jokes, just making jokes about the the cultural and and ideological differences of of different races and i think as a spanish person she's probably very tuned into that sure yeah spanish people among them like i don't i think she was very equal opportunity in in her jokes so these reporters latch on to it and then the headlines become you know, new SNL hire embroiled in racist tweet controversy, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> no, that's a headline that'll sell. Exactly. At some point when we were doing our trial casts, you were trying to sell me on the idea that there was no minor foible that the press wouldn't latch onto and blow out a proportion if they were given the chance. And I said to you that I had more faith in <laughs> in mankind. And is that still holding up? <laughs> It's, it's waning. Uh, the, the more of these kind of non controversies that I come across, the more I just want to just shrug and the hate flow through you, John. (laughs) It's not hate. It's just resigning myself to the fact that with so much information and noise flowing through the internet, news outlets and other 
uh, media and entertainment outlets have to try so hard to try and rope people into even 15 seconds on their website. They're willing to do just about anything to bait you into clicking. And the problem is sometimes you're like ruining a person's life when you decide you're going to turn them into the next 24 hour hate rally (laughs) on Twitter. (laughs) And, uh, it just, it's, it's just bothersome that, that this is kind of what the the state of the internet is reduced to. So that's that is my big like heavy <laughs> analysis on it, but more than anything there's nothing to it. She's not the first comedian or the last comedian that is going to use cultural idiosyncrasies as fodder for her joke telling and if people can't separate a joke from genuine racism then good lord go just crawl in a hole and <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, I just, I'm, I'm sick of the, the whole thing. I don't know what the jokes are that she said, but I'm willing to hazard a guess that I've heard much, much worse. Yeah. As long as there have been people, they have been sitting around in bars telling off color jokes and the world didn't end. But now if you, if you have the audacity to type something that isn't even that off color, just that hints at the idea that there's any difference between races or ethnicities you are instantly labeled a racist and the entire weight of the internet social justice warrior movement comes down on you within seconds of you hitting post i just don't understand why people have this much energy to devote to such insipid causes too much time on their hands yeah so How's this for a nice lighthearted preseason Saturday Night Live podcast? Well, you'll be putting in the laugh track later. Oh, well, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get out of the weeds here. Let's get back on track. We've got a lot of stuff to cover here. Okay. So on a slightly sadder note, Matt Villinus of... Matt and Oz, who has been SNL's go-to pre-tape directing duo pretty much since The Lonely Island left. He died of cancer earlier this year, and I wanted to mention it just, you know, out of respect, but also it's amazing when I was going back through his bio, the amount of really great, memorable sketches that he was involved in. So I think this, I think this is a heavy loss for the show. And it's, it's a shame that he was a behind the scenes kind of a guy, because I don't think he'll maybe get as much recognition as he deserves, but they were very heavily involved in Mm -hmm. some of the most memorable stuff like twin bed uh, is one that comes to mind that when that first aired, that was, uh, that was a very high watermark that proved that SNL was going to be able to continue to really thrive in the pre-tape digital sketch era. Right. And, uh, that's, that was his contribution to the, well, I mean that and a hundred others, but it was those kind of moments that he brought to the show. And, uh, I hope that they find a way to fill that void, but I think it's probably going to be a, there's going to be big shoes to fill there. So he will be missed by everyone who really appreciates the show and, and knows a little bit about the behind the scenes. Uh, his contribution does not go unnoticed. Absolutely. And I think fans will feel a difference moving forward, even if they weren't aware of Matt's contributions. I think he, he has given style and, and substance to the show that, that it didn't see before, really. So mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be a, an, an absence that will be uh, noted. Big contribution to the show, and uh, he will be missed. Daryl Hammond, 
who's been the show's announcer since Don Pardo died. He last season, he took on the mantle of the de facto Trump guy on the show. Right. Much to Taryn Killam's dismay. And uh, I guess from, uh, there was some interview where he mentioned that he's going to be staying on doing that again this year and Bill Clinton, he'll be doing the Bill Clinton impression as well. Do you have any thoughts on when it's a win for SNL to have alumni come back and reprise their roles and when maybe they're overstaying their welcome or maybe robbing, robbing the up and comers of their, their moment to put a spin on, on a public figure. Uh, How do you feel about that? Well, as far as Daryl Hammond goes, it makes sense to me for both of these impressions to stay under, under his umbrella, especially where he's still working on the show right now. You know, he was the iconic Bill Clinton for SNL and basically Mm -hmm. Saturday night live as an institution really dictates who you see as the comedic version (laughs) of these political figures. Yep. So if he's in the studio working on the show and they need a Bill Clinton, it would be weird not to use him. Well, I want, I want to challenge that a little bit because he's the announcer for the show. Great. But that doesn't mean that it's just an obvious choice that you have to use him. Like he's just standing off on the side doing nothing. Uh, A lot of that's pre-taped. And if he is actually doing it live for the live show, it's still a five minute gig. And a lot of times if he doesn't have anything better to do, he takes off right afterwards. So it's, I think, I think there is still a distinction between a player and an announcer. And even though, you know, he, he had a big history with the show. I just wonder if some of these new guys or even some of the people that have been on the show for a while, if they don't just deserve a chance to see if they can bring something unique to, to these characters, like why does it have to be him just because he's held that mantle for 20 years? Yeah. <laughs> that's my own. That's the only thing that kind of rubs me the wrong way is that I like Daryl Hammond. He was part of like my era of SNL growing up. And, you know, there's uh, a million sketches I can point to where he was uh genius. I have nothing but high praise for him. I just, I feel like, it's almost classier to just sort of find a nice way to step aside and hand it over. It's not Mm -hmm. like he's the only one that can make Donald Trump funny. It's true. Yeah. Because I did laugh at Terrence Donald Trump and thought it was good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he was a hairbreadth away from being the de facto Trump. And you know, that could be a totally different story for his career, his legacy with the show or whatever it is. And it just didn't happen because out of convenience or just out of nostalgia, the show decided to, to ramp Daryl Hammond back up into the role. And I, it just, it, it seems like SNL has defined itself as more of a progressive show where it is supposed to kind of be a mirror of that week in the world. Yeah. And the cast is sort of a reflection of that too, because it's ever evolving and they're always young and up and comers and, you know, hungry comedians that want to give new voice, you know, to comedy in their era. And I just don't know if the show is better to go for the 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 cheap thrill of bringing back a recognizable face over giving someone else a moment to shine. Right. And to further illustrate your point, John, uh, think of John Rudnitsky, who used a Bernie Sanders impression in his audition, which apparently mm-hmm. was really good. He never got a chance to do it on the show. Right. <laughs> there you go. You know, that chance was taken away from them just to have Larry David 
do it. And, you know, the name recognition and the fact that everyone loves him, you know, that'll get you viewers and stuff. But is it investing in the talent that you have? Not really. Yeah. And is it investing in the credibility of the show or the the voice of the show or how the show is remembered to people? Yeah. Maybe Lauren just doesn't care to look that far anymore as he gets on in age. Maybe I I don't think, but the thing is, this is my philosophy. I don't think it was ever Lauren's philosophy. Maybe when he was very young and idealistic, but he's never shied away from using star power or what's the flavor of the week to drive people to the show. Donald Trump would not have been on the show if it wasn't for ratings. I don't think there was anything politically that lined up between Lauren Michaels and, and Donald Trump, but he had the savvy to know that controversy is good and he was trying to ride that that zeitgeist of of Trump hysteria. I think Lauren probably looks at these things in terms of what gets you the immediate viewership because that's what keeps the show on the air. Mm-hmm. You know, every week I got to go back and I got to tell these execs how we did. You know, so I think that twists you a little bit more towards the quick immediate thrill. I just, uh, from an idealistic perspective, I I want to see these young kids really find something new. I agree. Yeah, we're, we are digging deep, aren't we? <laughs> and oh, just to put a bookend on that, in Larry David's case, I do not resent seeing him come back because his time on SNL was so dismal that it seems like it may have taken him 30 years, but he kind of finally got his due. <laughs> that's, yeah. how I, that's how I sort of look at that. I, I think, you know, I think it's great that for, for having such a, a bizarre persona that's hard to find vehicles that really work with you know with his style that's true for him to finally get a moment on snl where he's in a sketch <laughs> yeah like everybody had that idea independently oh larry david should do bernie sanders because of yeah. the look and the voice and the similarities same thing happened with tina fey right it's kind of organic in that sense it is it, it just in larry david's case it was doubly sweet because if you know how uh lackluster his time on the show was it's kind of like the second coming, like he finally gets the last laugh, you know, (laughs) he had to have a very unique uh, career to get him to the point where now he's relevant and he's on top and he's got some truly classic shows under his belt. Now, you know, now SNL has to stand up and take notice of this guy that they had in their pocket for a long time. (laughs) So there's, there's some sweet comeuppance there. And I think, I think that's fun to watch. That's, that's why I like seeing him on the show. Yeah. Anyways, bringing characters back, Tina Fey, she doesn't come to the show every week and reprise uh, Sarah Palin. But with Daryl Hammond, that's kind of what they're setting him up for. If Trump becomes president, he's basically back in the cast. Yeah, unless they make a decision to move away from using Daryl when they know for a fact it's going to be a, a recurring thing over at least the next four years. Sure. I just wonder why they didn't do that a season sooner. You can, you can always do a classy handoff. Well, the best we can do is speculate. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, that's, that's why we're going to tune in and watch season 42, because all this stuff that we're talking about now may prove to be completely pointless. They could hand him off episode one for all we yeah. Know, you know. Yeah, I might watch it. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> it, it's slightly piqued my interest. Okay. Getting, getting off that Jag, Chris Kelly, Sarah Schneider, they've both been writing for a while with the show. They are now the two co-head writers. Um, this is not, I think big news They they obviously had to put someone in that role. Do you know much about their contributions to the show over the year or how they might affect the tone of the show? 
Yeah. You know, you were mentioning earlier, uh, Matt and Oz, one of the things they were known for was Twin Bed. Yep. They directed it. It seems that Kelly and Schneider were the ones to write it, along with a lot of the other girl power type of uh, songs. Right. They were the driving force behind (laughs) any time your little baby 80 shows up. That's them. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, aside from those, they also write a lot for 80 and Kate. Mm -hmm. Uh, They did Dykes and Fats and a lot of that stuff. So that's good news for them. But in addition to them, we get seven new writers. I don't know really anything about any of them. For the featured players, it's probably a good thing to have seven new green writers yeah. uh, showing up day one, the same time that you're there. It's kind of like first day of kindergarten and you got to buddy up with someone kind of a thing. Yeah. I don't think every featured player gets that. Sometimes they walk into a really rigid, established, middle of an era type scenario where there isn't a lot of turnover year to year. Mm-hmm. So hopefully some of these new writers gel well with some of the new featured players and that helps to create moments that the featured players can really shine in. So it's, this could be a good thing. Yeah. I do know that Nick Cooker and uh, Brian McKelleny, they both have a history with uh, the good neighbor gang. Okay. Beck and uh, Kyle, they've worked together before. Okay. Uh, Nick and Brian come from a troupe, a comedy duo called Britannic. Yep. It is some really, really good stuff. As funny as it is creative, what I really noticed about their stuff is that they're able to take a trope or a concept and riff on it mm-hmm. and take it into a lot of interesting places, all hilarious, all creative. And I think their approach to comedy is perfect for having to generate ideas and material on a weekly basis. Excellent. So how do we feel about this uh, sponsored content stuff? It's hard to say without really seeing it, you know? True. But has there ever been a situation where sponsored content was a good thing? (laughs) Well, put it this way. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to start mugging for the camera and say, I use this cream for my hemorrhoids. You know, I see it more like what they were already doing with stuff like the Totino's Pizza Rolls commercials, Mm -hmm. where the fact that it was a Totino's commercial was part of the setup of it being a regular commercial. So, of course, they're saying nice things about this product. That's how a commercial is. But then it goes into those weird X-File, sure. you know, sci-fi stuff. So it's not really ham-fisted pushing a product in your face. It's using brand recognition to, to add some realism sure. to the sketch. So if it's, if it's done in that, in that sense, it would, be, it would be tasteful, I think. But, you know. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm wary. I think the difference between something like Totino's sketches or any of the other ones that have products in them up to this point is that I don't think the show starts with a product in mind and says, let's build a sketch around it. I think they build a sketch and say, Oh, okay, well we're riffing on this idea of like uh bro food at a football game. So we need a product for it to kind of ground the sketch. So let's go see if maybe someone wants to get involved and get their name out there. And then they approach some products to maybe do a placement with. Right. So in one case, it's, it's not the, the tail wagging the dog. Yeah. It's who's, who's making the approach in the first place that, that makes a big difference. Yeah, exactly. Right. Cause if, if they're doing mock commercials, which SNL does all the time, sometimes you want a recognizable product and it makes sense and it makes the sketch funnier when it has that bit of authenticity baked into it. Yeah. And so it's a win-win it's, there's nothing wrong with, <laughs> uh, as Jack Donaghy would say, you know, synergizing backwards overflow. <laughs> 
we live in a in a world of capitalism and commerce promotion and advertising and all that kind of stuff it exists for better or worse and it's not just on its own necessarily a bad thing it's how they go about using it and in this case the fact that they're going into it saying we want to create opportunities for sponsors to come to us with a product and then we'll build something around it i just feel like if you start with that approach you're going to end up with like you said things that are more heavy-handed and overt and self-serving or not self-serving but sponsor serving rather than just being uh, an obvious organic sort of a product placement and that's what scares me because i don't want to watch a thinly veiled commercial right you know i want to watch sketch comedy that comes out of a writer's genius not something that comes out of a writer being flogged into submission to write a product placement yeah what concerns me is not so much that, you know, there's going to be product placement. It's the fact that they're required to do it now. Yeah. So even if they don't have a, an organic idea of how to shoehorn that in, it's going to look really contrived. Exactly. A lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It, product placement can be done well and it can even be done with a little bit of sass. Like 30 Rock, again, is a great example of where they acknowledge the product placement and that makes it more fun. You know, when Snapple shows up and everyone's talking about Snapple after they just had a discussion where Jack Donaghy tells them you have to incorporate Snapple into your fictional show. I only date guys who drink Snapple. Yeah, exactly. That kind of stuff. That That's great. Who cares? Great. It, it made, it made, <laughs> it made for a funny joke. I don't care who's getting paid as long as it's a funny joke. I'm just, uh, just really apprehensive that, we're not going to get that level of subversive humor when you actually are, when the sponsor kind of has final say, you know, mm-hmm. does it, does it cast them in the right light? It. I'm thinking more about the, <laughs> it was Brian Dole Murray. I just can't think of his name, but in Wayne's world, remember when they get their sponsor and uh, all of a sudden their show becomes very corporate and they have to like have talking points and kind of answer to the producer and cast, the sponsor in a good light right. and they decide to kind of mock him without him even knowing it. You know, a sphincter says what <laughs> I, I just, I see that scenario kind of playing out. I'm like, how do you placate a sponsor and give them everything they want as far as casting their product in exactly the light that they think is best, but still be true to comedy. I just don't see, I don't see where those are going to overlap well. Yeah. And you know, if this doesn't work, that leaves me with the question, how committed are they to this? The way I understand it from what I read is that this is the new structure of the show until they replace it with something better. We should expect this to carry forward. And I don't think the product placement is going to be reduced in future seasons. I have a feeling they'll just keep ratcheting it up as much as they possibly can. I just hope I'm still laughing at the end of the day. Yeah, if they can generate laughs, then all's well. Just uh, we'll <laughs> see how that goes. <laughs> but I, for what it's worth, I suppose in this age of having to compete with you know three minute YouTube clips, and that's kind of what your show ends up getting chopped down into for a lot of its viewership. Traditional advertisements on first run broadcast TV—they just don't have the value that they used to have. I can certainly understand the show being between a rock and a hard place where they can't command good dollars for traditional advertising. They have to figure out, okay, what do we do to get enough money in the door to keep this train rolling? I'm not unsympathetic to the situation that they're in running. Basically, you know, you're running a business has to generate a profit. There has to be something there to pay the bills, keep the lights on. This is just a scary kind of deal with the devil sort of situation. (laughs) And I hope, I hope it 
pans out well. Yeah, here's hoping. Okay, so uh, weekend update covers the RNC. Did we need this? Well, we didn't need it, but... (laughs) (laughs) Did we want it? Did we enjoy it? Was there anything that is worth talking about? You know what? I think there is some things worth talking about. First of all, it gave me more faith going forward with Colin and Michael. Mm -hmm. This whole approach was much more conversational, Mm -hmm. rapid fire, back and forth. I think it was really fresh to see it with such life put into it. I think it'd be crazy not to at least lean towards that more in this next season. Okay. Now, do you think uh, they were consciously trying to work out the kinks in a possible new format to carry back into the show proper? Or do you think it was just uh, the nature of being in the MSNBC studio and having a very small audience in front of them and having probably very limited time and very limited resources to generate the material and not having a lot of rehearsal? Do you think it was just the end result of a different process for those two spinoff shows? Or do you think that this actually is something that they're consciously trying to weave back into Weekend Update? Well, I think it was a conscious decision to make it more fast paced, just so that it resembles event coverage. Because mm-hmm. that's that is more the style you see when you see this uh in a serious setting. Yeah, it's more punditry than anchorman type style. Right. Yeah. You were enamored by the format and the the delivery style and just the the quirkiness of this new incarnation of Weekend Update. But did you think it was funny? Did you think that they found some really good moments? Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was funny. Uh, I think you were a little warmer on these than I was. As I was watching it, I was feeling a little awkward just because I felt like, even though I understood what they were trying to achieve with their back and forth and there were some kernels of good jokes, I felt that the deliveries, it felt very unrehearsed and very... um, it just felt like they were missing a lot of beats as they went and just weren't necessarily comfortable in the space. Like it's almost like sometimes they were waiting for the laugh. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt that uh, awkwardness a little bit and that kind of pulled me out of the moment. I don't know. I just, I didn't feel that it was exceptional or memorable. Fair enough. Yeah. But I mean, so often it just has to do with how you're feeling in the moment when you watch something, I could probably watch it again and maybe get a completely different take. But at the time, I just remember feeling very awkward watching it. I noticed you had new glasses. Could that be part of the reason? Uh, It very well could be. Uh, It could be that. It could be my onset senility. There's a lot of factors at play here. So I wouldn't, uh, (laughs) I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would not assume that I get the final word on this. Fair enough. I don't think there's a whole lot else to say here. That just might be a cast. Thanks to my guest, Steve Finn. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at Transparency CHMR. And you can connect with us at snlafterparty.fm. We'll be back in a few days when SNL returns for its 42nd season premiere with host Margot Robbie and musical guest Weekend. <laughs> this has been our preseason 42 extravaganza episode of the Saturday Night Live After Party podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Summertime in Fayetteville, hot, hot summertime. Summertime in Fayetteville, hot, hot summertime. Get up here. Summertime in Fayetteville, hot, hot summertime.
I'm sorry, you're saying you want us to use the show to sell stuff? Look, I, I know how this sounds. No, come on, Jack, we're not doing that. We're not compromising the integrity of the show to sell... Wow, this is diet Snapple? I know, it tastes just like regular Snapple, doesn't it? You should try Plumagranate. It's amazing. I only date guys who drink Snapple. Look, we all love Snapple. Uh, Lord knows I do, but focus here. We're talking about product integration. No, no, we are not your shills. Oh! Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. They're artists like James Joyce or Strindberg. Get real, kids. You write skits mocking our presidents to fill time between car commercials. 